<laughs> yeah, we had a guest do that once. I just kept hearing this scratching sound and I was like, oh, you can actually see me in the video, like going. <laughs> <laughs> Hello everybody, you're listening to the Drunken Ramblings Podcast. This is Ernie here. And this is Gara. Hi guys, this is Joel. And today our guest is PJ Tom. Hello everyone. So I managed to get in contact with you thanks to Naresh. He came on our show a couple of weeks back. Oh yes. Yeah, and then we were having a conversation about potential guests and he said he was meeting you the very next day actually. Yeah, yeah so I thought, yeah, why not? And he helped me out and yeah, that's great. You're here already. So thank you for your time. Oh, you're very welcome. Really uh, appreciate it. I, I mean, based on what I see online, you're super busy based on all the content that you need to create. Yeah. <laughs> and the company I have to run and the job I have to do all the teaching at Oxford, <laughs> oh, despite wow. what the government says, I actually am at Oxford. <laughs> and yeah, everything on top of that. So, but you know, I'm always happy to talk to people and engage in a discussion about Singapore. So yeah, I'm awesome. glad to be here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So something that I would say it's very curious for me. It was your swimming past. I would say like maybe how how do you still swim in the ocean? You know, I suffer from a genetic skin condition called psoriasis. So chlorine isn't so good for me. Oh. I developed it when I was twenty seven, um, and so I don't swim in a pool anymore. But I love swimming in the ocean. Interesting. Oh. So I try to swim in the ocean as much as I can. I, I one day I'd love to retire to somewhere where I could swim in the ocean every day. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah that's nice. <laughs> Sounds what really does, nice. Yeah. What does swimming in like normal pool water with chlorine do to your body? Like, does it give you rashes in your skin? Uh, not so much. Uh, it just it it doesn't uh, affect me straight away. But chlorine, you know, it's bleach. It uh, definitely damages your skin. Mm. And I swam competitively twenty one years, and I think it probably definitely I had eczema. A lot of swimmers have eczema. Oh, wow. oh okay. You know, uh, and then of course you're under the sun a lot. Um, so all of that combined damages your skin so swimmers get a lot of skin problems they get a lot of breathing problems because we're breathing chlorine all the time oh okay and of course um if you don't have a good uh you know sports injuries basically if you if you don't have good technique it's very easy to injure your shoulders swimmers have shoulder problems a lot i don't mm. fortunately uh yeah so i don't swim anymore in the in a pool in a pool in the only in the ocean yeah or if you have a saltwater pool i'm sure i'm happy to swim Ooh, in that interesting. Yeah. that's interesting yeah i've never heard of that before yeah, I think like yeah. uh, it's, if I'm not wrong, swimming around the rock of Gibraltar, I think that's something that you don't hear very often. It's quite amazing. Yeah, they don't let people do it very often because uh, obviously uh, the Atlantic and the Mediterranean, there's a lot of traffic. And uh, in Gibraltar, where you start from is um, where the rock narrows to a one kilometer wide strip. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then broadens up into the Spanish mainland. And that strip is actually where the airport is, right? Mm. Uh, where the planes have to land. So they don't actually let you go and hang out there yep. very often. But on their sort of national day every year, there's a race around the rock. And so we were there. Oxford's uh, swim team was invited to Gibraltar as part of that celebration. Cool. And so we took part in a, in a race. Uh, and it was supposed to be an Oxford relay team versus a Gibraltar national relay team. But because I was trained for the channel, I asked to do it solo. 
So uh, yeah, so it was me versus Oxford versus Jupiter. <laughs> was it yeah. like I mean I'm not sure about the seas there, but were there anything like sharks to look out for? Or? Uh no no. Uh you know the thing about sharks is that they're like humans in the or a lot of mm. dangerous, more dangerous creatures prefer to hang out in warmer waters. That's why Australia wow. actually has very dangerous creatures off its coast, right? The Gold Coast, beautiful waters, dangerous creatures. Yeah. Whereas the really cold, miserable waters like the English Channel, uh, like the Atlantic, uh, fewer dangerous creatures in the shallows, uh, and then the Mediterranean is warmer, more dangerous creatures. So I actually was less in danger on the Atlantic side. I didn't get stung by jellyfish. Jellyfish are the main thing. I didn't get stung much. But the moment I crossed over to the Mediterranean side, I got stung a heck of a lot more. Oh dear. So that's the main thing. Yeah. You swim very far out in the ocean. Like um, for Gibraltar. Uh, no, no, on, on on average, let's say you're on. Uh, do you swim in Singapore's ocean? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. There's. Uh, I think my my favorite place is uh, Tanjong Beach at Sentosa. Oh. Okay. So there's a. It's a lagoon. You know, it's enclosed. You just swim. It's yeah. It's fine. And you don't have to worry about anything like below. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although at low tide, sometimes you get tangled in the seaweed or vegetation <laughs> that grows up in the bottom. Yeah. Uh, but uh, otherwise, the main thing is uh, just getting distracted and then swimming into the rocks. They've got these rocks oh piled up in artificial islands. Okay. You know, and then if you... Because when you swim, you look to your left and right. Mm. You don't look straight and the tide's constantly carrying you. So when you're swimming in a sort of broadly enclosed area, you can actually run into things if you forget. Right, mm, there's no black yeah. line at the bottom of the swimming pool. So I actually have a very bad injury on my right hand, where um, I in when I was training in Dover Harbour, I was carried into a large hard plastic buoy that was used for mooring or something like that. But I didn't see it in front of me because I was breathing to my right and left and oh, the okay. current carried me into it. So I stabbed into it with my right hand oh, man. and badly damaged it. And so I suffered nerve damage uh, oh. just below my ring finger where I wear my wedding ring. So right here. Uh, so if you look carefully, you can see that there's a depression here then, on my right hand yeah. where there isn't on my left. And that's where there's the nerve is dead. Oh, man. Right? Oh, and man. so the doctor said, oh, you got to recover. And I was like, I'm swimming the channel in a couple of weeks. I can't recover mm. so I just popped painkillers bandaged my hand and kept training and made it across the channel but as a result I've got permanent damage in my right hand where it aches if I'm really tired or stressed out this this spot in particular aches oh, and I've developed this really odd habit of flexing my right hand in weird ways you know just <laughs> just so that it doesn't hurt yeah so I have this I have this sort of oh, I don't know if it's a nervous oh, tick it, it happens all the time terrible for you when you when the incident happened and yeah. you stay out in the ocean alone right yeah. and then you're bleeding like I wasn't bleeding it was just incredibly painful but it's an internal injury oh, right yeah. so it's a nerve injury that wasn't damaged to the skin okay uh, but yeah I was in the middle of the of Dover Harbour so oh I was quite goodness. far out from the shore and you know Dover Harbour is very cold and but uh, it, it rapidly numbed up because Dover Harbour is so cold yeah. so it was only after I finished training that day which was you know you train for hours at a time because you're training for the channel you got to practice literally 8 hours you know to get oh the gosh, experience okay. so when I finally got out and then by that night I was my hand was in agony so I had to go see the doctor and he was like yeah soft tissue injury you know it's it'll be fine if Nothing you just rest it wrap it up you know 
ice it, take care. Here's painkillers. And I was like, wait, 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 rest it? No, 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 no. <laughs> You're done. No more swimming. But then you did the most athlete thing to do. Just pop painkillers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I don't know, this is a bit of a maybe sort of uh, obscure um, reference. But back then, there was this painkiller that athletes love called Vioc. I don't know if you guys ever heard of it. And the funny thing is, uh, well, th- it's not that funny. It, it, it was incredibly effective. Athletes loved it. It was around the turn of the millennium, right? You just take it and your pain will go away. Immediately? Um, it was a very effective painkiller. Oh, okay. Like, you know, very highly highly effective the problem is it, it there was a terrible side effect they found that it increased heart problems or something like that oh, man. so they took it off the market and when the announcer was taking it off the market every pro level athlete i know rushed to stock up because <laughs> we were like no we need this painkiller it was so good so i burned through my stocks of viox to survive the channel yeah. oh wow but what an amazing feat you still completed it all right yeah 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 how yeah. did you get into swimming actually Oh, that was... Oh, man. It was my father, right? And uh, my father was an athlete himself. So he actually Mm -hmm. played football for Singapore between uh, 1959 and 1962, right? Very good football player. And so so my father had this idea. He wouldn't have put it that way, but... How the ancient Greeks would have put it is mensano e corpore sano, which is a healthy mind and a healthy body. You can't be just a good student or a good athlete. You need both, right? Otherwise, it's like, uh, you know, being really smart, but being not physically fit is like, say, uh, Lewis Hamilton in a, I don't know, a, a, what do you, what's that cheap China car, the QQ? You know? Cherry QQ. Cherry QQ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, uh, and vice versa, right? If you put a completely untrained person behind the wheel of Formula one they're also not going to go very fast so healthy mind and healthy body uh so my dad had this idea that i had to take up a sport he you know he wanted me to be physically fit the problem is um i was not good at anything that he tried he like he threw me at every single sport that he could think of but his other thing you know my dad a lot of hang-ups he uh he didn't want me to do a team sport because as a football player you know he always felt frustrated at least this is what he said that he needed 10 other people to succeed yeah so he wanted me to do an individual sport but here i am right i'm i'm a bookworm i love to read i don't like going out uh you know from young i was always very bookish uh so he he was trying to find a sport that worked for me and uh, everything was just bad I was terrible no hand-eye coordination right so ball sports are out Uh, I was afraid of heights right and so gymnastics was out so finally out of like frustration he was like let's try swimming at least you learn a skill so if you fall overboard or something (laughs) you know so he forced me to swim and the thing about my dad you know he was very ferocious very scary I think and this is where I have to be serious it is borderline child abuse to do what he did to me Mm. to force me to swim to cane me if I didn't train hard if I didn't swim well Mm. you know and then if I didn't if he if he would uh, you know come and watch me train and if he felt like I didn't train hard enough he'd, when we got home he'd make me do more exercise pull ups push ups he trained oh. you with the intention for you to compete already at such a young age or he just wanted you to 
to be good yeah. at it. No, he trained, I think, with the intention to compete, oh, right? He wow. brought me to a club. At age five, I started age three five. times oh. yeah, three times a week. By age seven, I was doing every day except Sunday, you know. And oh then once gosh. in my teens, I was doing twice a day. Uh, in college, we had, what was it? Um, I think like 12 sessions a week. Crazy. People 12 today, sessions a week? Wow. Yeah. So people, yeah, roughly 10 to 12 sessions a week. Uh, people today don't train that, that no. much, right? The, the, because uh, swimming technology, the, the science of training has improved to the point where they know how to optimize the training a lot more. But back when I was training, it was a huge amount of um, time in the pool because you have to expose yourself to a different medium. Swimming in the water has different rules of motion than swimming, uh, sorry, than moving on land. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So you have to learn that there are very few people born innately with this ability to really feel the water and know how to move in it. And actually, the only other Singaporean I know who, the only Singaporean I know, full stop, who has <laughs> that um, is Kwa Tingwen, okay. right? Uh, she, she overlapped with me very briefly. Uh, she started at the, at the club as I was on my way out. And she was brilliant, absolutely talented, wonderful kid. Um, we still keep in touch from time to time. Yeah, oh, when nice. I follow her career, you know, very, yeah, she's a um, really lovely person and really talented. So we all knew she was going to go far. Yeah. Uh, but she has this innate ability to feel the water and know how to move in it. Whereas most people, you throw them in the water, they're going to move, try to move the way you move on land, which is on land, the harder you push on the ground, the, the faster you move forward. Mm. In the water, what is more important is to reduce resistance because the harder mm. you push, water will part beneath your hand, but more importantly, resistance to your body will increase. So if you think of a fish, right, they versus say a paddle steamer, a modern propeller or versus a paddle steamer or how a fish moves, it's all about decreasing resistance. Mm. So when you swim, you have to think like a fish and decrease resistance rather than increase propulsion, you know, and that's very hard for people to grasp. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And in the water, your center of gravity is different from where your center of gravity is on land. So again, very hard for people to grasp. So the reason why we had to do so much time in the water is to learn these things and to learn how to feel the water, how to understand how your center of gravity changes, right? And build muscles. You know, again, when you run, you're using the same muscles you do every day. Mm. to move but when you swim you're using totally different muscles mm. and in a different direction right perpendicular to gravity versus uh, with you know against gravity so it's a whole different set of training muscles endurance systems you've got to form new nerve endings basically wow. and that's why we spend so much time in the water and I think today the technology is different I know they, they train a lot less in the water than we do because there's there's like diminishing returns after mm, a certain yep, point yep. but back then they didn't know right and this is like the 80s and 90s yeah. it's not that far but the technology of swimming has really changed in the last 30, 40 well I feel so old <laughs> <laughs> in the last 20 years so that's why from the age of 7 I was doing I was basically doing 6 sessions a week right Monday to Saturday uh, twice on Saturday and then eventually 10 sessions a week and yeah so it was a you know and my dad was just uh uh, there he was very much a tyrant he had very solid ideas about what I was going to do with my life uh, and so my childhood was um, I guess you might say I, I never doubted that my parents loved me a lot but they did it in that very 
I don't know. You know, what, old, what, school, what, old school, <laughs> school uh, What's that lady's book? Tiger, Tiger, Tiger Mom, Asian Tiger, Tiger Mom, Tiger Mom. Yeah, that's sort of that's sort of very Asian way, right? Where uh, love for your kid is basically beating them into achievements, achievements. Oh, yeah. into achievements. achievements yeah. And you know, I I I I think it it really. It's it's borderline child abuse. It is child abuse. I I kind of resent it. Mm. Oh dear. Uh, so like how I raise my son is very very different, mm. you know. And I think it's far. Hopefully, hopefully, I'm sure I'm screwing him up in my own way. But yeah. I just I I still bear a lot of psychological scars from it, so I don't recommend any parent does that to me. Was there any point that the for swimming that it turned and your interest start to? I mean, because you're training so much, there might be like such a mundane thing or some hate towards the swimming. Was there a point that you started to love it and then like really have that hmm. interest to pursue? I think it's, it's several things. One, it was all I knew. I wasn't really allowed to have, seriously have any other hobbies growing up, right? There was a lot of fun things that I tried and, you know, that I might have pursued. Um, you know, actually, I loved computer programming, actually. Mm-hmm. I really got into that, you know, but didn't have the time. Um, Would have been so ahead of your time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, who knows? But I wasn't allowed, basically. Until I left for university at 16, I actually, my life was controlled by my father. Mm. And it's a very strange sort of life because I feel like I was emotionally and psychologically stunted in many ways, right? When all you're allowed to do is you wake up in the morning, you go to a pool, you finish, you go to school, you come home, have lunch, you know, you go back to the pool, maybe after a nap. You come back, you do your homework and you go to sleep. That was my whole life. Were you even allowed to go out with your friends and like... On weekends maybe, you know. Uh, But that's the thing, right? Mm. I also really didn't like people that much. I preferred (laughs) my books. I preferred reading. I love reading. Would you say that you're an introvert? Oh, very much so. Mm. Yeah, I find people exhausting. I find talking, dealing with people exhausting. Okay, sorry. Sorry uh, to have you on here. We get the message. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it's not you. Like... You know, and I'm very open about this. Introversion is just about energy. It's not mm. that I don't enjoy this. It just it's very tiring. You know, I even need time away from my wife, right? Yeah. Like it's normal. My actually. family. Yeah. I need time alone. And and they respect it, understand it. And I have to wonder how much of it is also scars from my childhood and like not really having time for me because my dad was would always you know, it, it even got to the point where I mean he was a bit obsessed. He would read books on swimming. He he actually like got his own coaching U- U.S. coaching association wow. level three. At one point, I think he was one of the highest oh, qualified wow. <laughs> swim coaches in Singapore. He spent no even expense, though he right? wasn't yeah. actually a swim coach, and he would you know offer me advice and things like that, right? And that was my life. And I don't know if I ever truly enjoyed it. Um, but the funny thing is, I started winning, and winning is fun, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And the only reason I won was because I was putting in more time than everyone else because yeah. my dad would you know all, my swimming career is almost like it's my dad's swimming career in many ways because his he, expectation yeah he, he, but his pressure he invested so much I mean as a parent he got up he had to get up that's at 5 true. in the morning to get yeah. me to the yeah, pool right yeah true. you know so it's also like privilege because he had he was an accountant he was a professional so he had time to do this he then you know could like arrange his own hours so that he could pick uh, get up in the morning send me to to the pool then drop me off at school go to work and then leave work um, on 
his own schedule to you know send me to the pool and then sit there and watch me train and mm. then bring me home and then you know maybe make me do another hour of work so a lot of i'd say upper middle class privilege okay uh and and that's that's one of the things about being an athlete right you parents need to have a lot of time to mm. invest you know it's not just a kid and it's not mm. just effort parents need to invest so much time in it too or there needs to be a support structure this is one of the things that i think the government and their whole approach to sport doesn't understand yeah. there's a whole ecosystem around supporting young people and you need to take away so much of concerns about you know um their uh, other you know like just where the me- next meals are going to come mm-hmm. from or the stresses in the house or you know the being able to afford equipment you know my my it's dad, a very costly yeah. thing to be in sports yes yeah. very costly yeah and swimming in particular so um i think i've digressed a bit from, no from the yeah. question <laughs> but, i actually uh, wanted to yeah. ask something what is your fondest memory of your childhood you know you mentioned that you didn't really have a good childhood but i'm sure there is one point of time in your life where you felt you know, you enjoyed it. I don't really think of my childhood nowadays, actually. That's a very interesting question. I don't think anyone's asked me that. <laughs> hmm. It's good to sometimes reminisce about instead of just uh, the bad stuff, it's time to think about the good stuff. Was your mom just as hard as like, compared to your dad? Or? Uh, no, my, my mom was... Um, she Her responsibility was more about making sure I got my schoolwork done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they kind of divided it that way. Uh, my dad, in some ways, was kind of anti-intellectual. He, <laughs> you know, wasn't very fussed about the schoolwork. Partly because I never presented a problem to them, except for Chinese. I'm an ACS boy, <laughs> you know. And back in my time, that I think it's a bit different now, but back in my time, that really meant you couldn't speak Chinese. It was terrible. I scraped through every year, just, you know, C's and D's, and just somehow survived. But everything else, I never really had a problem in school. It was just mm. a question of making sure I got my whole homework done Mm -hmm. so uh, yeah I I really don't know when I think back to my childhood it's so dominated by my swimming and a lot of my memories are like I won this and I won that you know Um, and that that was like my whole childhood really Uh, yeah Mm -hmm. how about like um, yeah do you go through a stage of rebellion (laughs) because of this system most most kids I hear or know tend to. So the problem is, right, um, my dad was not shy about using the cane, you know, and it's very harsh. And that, but that means rebellion is difficult. Mm. I think rebellion, once I lived abroad for a while and I understood how different life could be, not just for people, for other people, but in the US, you know, and then we fought a lot more after that. But by the time I came back, I was already 20 after I graduated. I think it was really after that. Once I was out from under his thumb, you know, no longer living at home mm-hmm. and things like that. But then I had to come back, do NS. That was a horrible time. Uh, wow, so I, th- I think not many people know about this, this side of you. Yeah, I, I, I tried to talk about it. Someone, um, was it uh, one of the, you know, like media call order, wanted mm-hmm. to do a documentary. And I, I met with a producer and I talked all about the psychological scars of all this mm. and by the end of the discussion they they were they were i think they were willing to do the documentary about all these problems this was after my dad died obviously and all okay. that but after they produced a script and went through a whole discussion with their boss it became so much lighter and mm. uh they took out a lot of the most serious things and uh i was very unhappy with it so mm. i i backed out of the project uh that's the only other time but you know this this um this whole like 
like narrative that we have around sports, right? And more generally around life. We kind of celebrate the sacrifices that people have to make. We celebrate uh, the kind of mentality that we have to have. But I think you need to, we also need to recognize that there it's not a healthy thing to be that way. You know, we talk about being having good mental health, work-life balance, mm. and yet we celebrate people who are obsessively Grinding. focused mm. Yeah, mm. On, on achievement to an unhealthy degree, mm. right? We celebrate the Steve Jobs of the world, who was Steve Jobs was, you know, notoriously perfectionist, abrasive, mm. destroyed a lot of the relationships around him, right? We celebrate athletes who destroy their lives and their bodies mm. in pursuit of a goal and then at the same time we say hey work-life balance you know you can have it all and we we need to figure out really as a society what we where our values lie yeah. mm, right yeah. and um yeah i i i think you know we, oh i remember sort of what i was going to an answer mm. in response <laughs> to one of your questions but uh um we digressed a bit from that, which was uh, uh, when you, Gareth, asked about uh, whether I wanted to do other things. And in some ways, because I wasn't given the choice to do other things, but a lot of the kids around me and that I competed with had that choice, they all dropped out one by one or they started training less or there are mm. other distractions. Mm. So I like to say, like, it wasn't that I was so good at swimming. It was because everyone else around me retired, <laughs> right? They wanted to focus on schoolwork. Fair enough. Or another hobby or yeah. a sport, whatever. Or they wanted a social life or they just wanted the chance to be young, which I never got. And that's fine. But as a result, by the time I hit 15, there was actually only one faster swimmer in the whole country. And then once I managed to beat him, I became national champion. Mm. And then suddenly, you know, that was I was I was on top, right? And I didn't even beat him like the normal way. I beat him because my father was willing to give me, I don't know what normal is, but he was willing to give me the space and time to do even more training. Mm. And so, huh. you know, kind of answering that your question, Gareth, like I had this extra space and time to train uh, with his support. And once I was that good, I actually was like, you know, hell yeah, I'm, I'm, I could actually be national champion. And I started breaking national records at 14, you know. And so that was the point where I was like way more into it, mm. you know, because success, success. is fun. Yeah. Uh, but it's the wrong reason to do something because you can't control how good other people are. You can only control how good you are. You know, people should be doing things because of the satisfaction of doing them. But instead, I got ca caught up really badly in the winning and losing, which is not a healthy mm. reason to do things. Um, and and that was another sort of psychological, I don't know if scar is the right word, but something I had to overcome mm. years later, especially once I started getting injured. And then when your identity is wrapped up in winning and you're no longer winning, you know, then who are you, mm. right? And that is very damaging for a lot of young athletes who, uh, or athletes full stop, when your identity mm. is wrapped up in your physical health and eventually we all lose our physical health. Yeah. So let's, all these issues you know, and it's something it's, you hear you know, commonly with athletes yeah. like because you tend to peak like in your 30s or to late your, 20s late, I think oh, late 20s depending sure. on the sport depending, also. true yeah. and then like after that there's so much more to life but then most people are like holy shit my whole life has been about this 
what now? Mm. What next, right? Yeah. yeah. And then they kind of struggle from then on. It's only next year that I will actually have lived more than... Lived uh, or, or not swum for more of my life. than Because I swam for 21 years comparatively. Mm-hmm. And I'm 41. So oh. next year, I will finally cross a threshold where I will have... <laughs> lived more of my life yeah. than you know without swimming than with swimming mm. which is weird that is weird but I think this story is so fascinating yeah. actually yeah. It, it, yeah. it really gives people a side of you that they don't see you know we only see you on the TV on like, different channels but we don't see this other side of you yeah that it's the more vulnerable um Side which which lets people empathize with you in a way, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's real. Uh. I yeah. mean it's it's something yeah. I would love to hear. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, thank you for giving me the opportunity. I don't often get the opportunity to talk about myself mm. <laughs> like this. So, yeah. so like in between all these swimming lessons, when did you manage to like sneak off and get the chance to grow this like wealth of knowledge in history? Oh, that was all afterwards. Um, yeah, that was all once I went to university, mm-hmm. and I am so glad I had the opportunity to go abroad and study in the US and expose myself to different ideas, cultures. And that was the turning point where I began to grow in very unexpected directions, learn more about myself. Mm. And, you know, I've been very lucky because I had a succession of scholarships, right, for all my degrees. I never had to, like, fully pay for any of my degrees. So I'm very, very lucky. And the first one was on a swimming scholarship, but then afterwards there was the roads, there was the Commonwealth, you know. So there's, yeah, I've just been very lucky. Um, but for me, uh, a story that I like to tell is actually this turning point. I think it was my very first year at Harvard and the class was... So one of the cool things about Harvard is that uh, back then, I'm not sure exactly how they do it now, the liberal arts education in general wants you to learn different ways of approaching knowledge. So you don't concentrate till much later in your degree, right? And at Harvard, you were supposed to spend a quarter of your time in fields outside of your degree. Uh, So what a lot of people do is they take a wide range of subjects in their first year Mm -hmm. to try a lot of different things and then figure out, you know, from there what's something I'd like to to major in. Mm-hmm. And uh, I took a course called The Cultural Revolution in China, which was taught by Professor Roderick McFarquhar, who actually was a BBC reporter during the Cultural Revolution. Oh. In, I think he was in Hong Kong, so he saw firsthand bodies floating down wow. the Pearl, Pearl Delta, oh, right? Man. And so he understood very much the human cost of the Cultural Revolution. And one of the things, I'll never forget this lecture, where he got his teacher to act like red guards and he got us all to stand up and then he'd shout slogans Chinese communist slogans and we had to shout them back at him (laughs) and then after a while you feel everyone really getting into it you know you feel like the mob mentality take over everyone's screaming right and you know whatever (laughs) and and then I was like paused and I was like holy shit, what's going on here? These are supposed to be, they don't even understand the language and these are supposed to be literally some of the smartest kids in the world Mm. and we've all succumbed to a mob mentality so quickly and I wanted to know why. I was just, you know, so stunned by this. I had to know why. So that's Mm. how I got started on history and understanding the past and understanding how people think. And what really amused me is that uh, when Professor McFarquhar died, I think, was it last year or 2019, his obituary specifically quoted one of his TAs who had to 
act as a red guard describing the exact same <laughs> wow. lecture he did it year after year so it wasn't the same when i was in but he had really affected a lot of people with that one very simple example and mm-hmm. uh, yeah it really shows you how how easy it is for us to really slip into these very dangerous mentalities mm. when you're in a group right to to just give up our humanity so easily it doesn't matter how smart you are or what right yeah. as long as the group does it you want to follow suit is it? we're all still yeah. human you know yeah. yeah yeah so it's it's something i've never forgotten really changed my but life. that that also like reminds me cuz i used to study in an american school yeah. and one of the teachers on the first day of chemistry class she didn't he didn't say anything but there was a pile of chemicals he threw a liquid and it burst into flames oh shit and he started class and that's something that always like resonated with me about the way westerners teach mm-hmm. it's like it's impactful you know you really remember these kind of things that yeah. they do they do it differently yeah. by doing right yeah by, by experiencing yeah. yeah and the students will really just remember and like you more in a way you know they won't be so like annoying in class yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like we were <laughs> they'll be excited <laughs> to learn you know yeah. what's coming up next right yeah, yeah. we will do stupid things in class locally because we hated it so much <laughs> you know? i feel like uh my experience of and you know this is now anecdotal right between my son and other parents but like the local education system system is so negative in the sense of they're trying to beat out the things beat out of you the things they don't like mm. they want conformity mm. they have a certain idea of where you, they want you to go and what they want to produce and they're out to crush anything that doesn't I fit think in that whereas more you know not not to get into the western eastern local mm. foreign dichotomy but a more progressive education system celebrates the differences and gives you opportunities to learn and to be good at the things that your you enjoy or that you're good at or bring out talents within you and recognizes the that individuals are very very different and i think that the american school from what i i've heard from friends who went there and friends children who went there does that way better than mm-hmm. um, schools in the MOE system will you be sending your son to American school in future uh, no, no 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 it's complicated <laughs> uh, so uh, my son um, he's actually my stepson uh, and where he goes to school is a negotiation between his birth father and uh, his mother my wife oh, I so I didn't really have that much control and you you know you want to respect mm, of course, his of his, course. Father, his yeah. birth father uh so he went to catholic high which i think i mean speaking frankly i profoundly regret because he hates it mm. it's completely killed his love of learning you know he loved learning as a kid oh, catholic high waste. primary yeah. was was fine with him but he goes to catholic high secondary and within a few years he goes from someone who loves learning and is eager to go to school to someone who resents the place hates it oh, man. you know actively doesn't want to learn and and i feel very sad for him because i loved going to school you know yeah and and for him because my wife's filipino he's half filipino uh he has actively called catholic high racist because it he feels that they are militantly chinese and so any deviation from that sort of chinese cultural paradigm was subject to microaggressions not overt racism okay. microaggressions oh, you know like yeah. like kids making fun of yeah. you or snide remarks especially since he's half filipino and oh, you know yeah, all the happens, negative yeah. stereotypes here and he hated it and uh, i think his whole year uh, the whole school year there were only uh, three kids who were not 100% chinese quote unquote chinese mm-hmm. and the, the other three were half like the, he and their two kids were half chinese and they were subject to all these microaggressions and i don't even understand how do you have a school where every single kid is 
is Chinese or partly Chinese, you know, because Chinese is only 75% of population. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's something actively going on, you know, <laughs> and I don't want to accuse Catholic High of formally doing anything, but this yeah. is suspicious. At right? least follow the HDB system. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well, another uh, argument right there. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I think that's just what I'll say about that. I, I, I'm very disappointed in local education system and uh, and what I've seen it do to myself. Also, I feel that uh, it, apart from, I mean, for the local education system, I think it's because uh, a reason could be that how the teachers are being assessed. And mm, that's yes. why they, they have, I mean, though they give them, the, you can do whatever you want with your class and time, but they have to keep on schedule. Yeah, They have to finish this and that, and they have to make sure they get results. I recall one of my teachers, I mean, uh, he had a burst out because my class wasn't exactly the the most uh, <laughs> the the most well behaved kind of class. Mm. So uh, he kind of have a little meltdown and he kind of shouted in class, "You are gonna, you are not gonna let me get my bonus if you are carry on like that." Oh my god! Uh, yeah, worst thing you can say, right? Oh my but god! My class was okay, admitting me really, really bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But he should have done that lah. And but after that, we just no respect. We yeah. had li- a little bit of respect after yeah. that zero, and he couldn't. Yeah. We had to change the teacher to to get us to do things. That's oh, how yeah. bad he got. Yeah, but I mean, this was the. I mean, what was in his mind was he had to. I mean, probably pay for his family, yeah. support his family, mm. and he had to get results. And my class wasn't good, so yeah. he was trying to like, express his agony. I guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's very destructive. This is, you know, neoliberalism has really gone mad, taken over so much of Singapore, especially in social policy where uh, financial incentives cannot should not and don't influence people right whether it's healthcare or education you know these are not things that you can impose uh, financial incentives and fiscal discipline because people don't think of um, education or healthcare as limited goods if you're sick you're always going to go to the doctor and you always want more education and you always want your kids to have more education mm. and they don't it, there's no clear cut bottom line when it comes to education there's no profit in education unless you're there shouldn't be you, yeah there shouldn't be right a a good education actually is expensive but that's what we should be doing as a society to create a better world um yeah and and it's very much the the current pap government uh it was unging hien as minister minister education you know and his whole paradigm i mean he's a general so he brought that paradigm to the moe and he was like oh my troops my teachers are my my troops you know and he brought in all these he restructured all these things uh and change the education system to be way more incentive based so again this is anecdotal but one of my best friends is a teacher and she's just she every year she's like that's it I'm gonna quit you know Mm -hmm. so much paperwork and it's all about um, you know meeting targets and goals instead of caring for the students we should be the main goal yes we should be the main goal yeah yeah. but you know she's just so frustrated but every year she goes back because she loves what she does you know and one more year one more year (laughs) how many years now she's like I cannot take it you know this this is killing killing the students. I feel so bad for them, you know, and we have to do things that may not even be good for them because that's what the whole incentive structure mm. forces us yeah. to do. Yeah. It's kind of hard to justify the way that they teach. Yeah, but the more the more I think about it, the more these examples, the, the teachers' examples come into to play. Mm. Another one was uh, she kind of abandoned the students that she deemed you're not going to make it. Mm. And then she teach the students that she feel going to make it yeah. because if you're going to mm. fail, you're not going to hit my target. So yeah. That's quite common that, though. Yeah, actually. Like common, right? I'm, yeah. not, I'm not sure about yeah. my class I, I was sitting like we had a table and it's just us 
rebels in the sense. So you cannot make it, lah. Because uh, I'm, not, I'm not part <laughs> of the media. No, but I surprised her. So my, my parents pushed me for private tuition, mm. and I did well for private tuition. So, uh, but just in the class because I really didn't like her, I didn't focus at all. But private tutoring did well, so I ended up for that year. I remember, I got B three. So when she received the the grade, she still looked at me and say, "Not bad." And I was so angry. I was like, "It's not you. <laughs> not bad. It's not you." Yeah. And that's just a failing, right? First of all, if your education system works, you shouldn't need private tuition. There shouldn't be a private tuition industry. It's a failing mm. of the education system. And second, it's I never then, thought of it that way. Yeah. 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 yeah, and and the second thing is, you know, that means that uh, you know, meritocracy goes out the window. It's all about whether you can pay to have your kids put through uh, tuition. Very yeah. true. Right? Rich people. That's why tuition. Yeah. Centers are crazy now. Oh yeah, tuition centers everywhere and such good money, yes. right? Yeah. Good money. You walk into these MRT stations, whatever. There's big posters, right? Boasting, oh yeah, this person went to whoops. Oh, the MRT stations and these posters boasting this person has these qualifications or whatever, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think there was a study showing that by the time you get to JC. Like top students pay twelve thousand dollars a year in in tuition. Oh you know, my God. I mean, I, I I can't remember where this this study was, but you you start from about a uh, thousand or so at primary one, and then you go all the way up to twelve thousand. You know, in JC, and that's an insane amount of money. Who has that money? Mm, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we the system is broken. It's what really do you think broken. can be changed? You know, let's say in the next five to ten years for the education system. I know it's a lot to ask. Yeah. But I mean, just yeah. yeah. Let's play around with that. Yeah. I mean, to me, like things like this can only be changed like from the inside in a way. Yeah, like, it's very structural. Yeah. You know, but I think we we need to be a lot more. You know, here here's the fundamental thing, right? And now we're getting into like discussions about the fundamental issues with PAP decision making. Is that the PAP uh, come from a place where they believe if they just get the law right, the regular right incentive structure right mm. things will be solved and they just need to tweak it and eventually things will fall into place the problem is with something like education because everyone learns differently it's so personal it's pretty much almost the opposite of what the solution mm. is and good teachers need to be able to tailor education to the student and Instead, what the PAP is doing is regulating more and more, increasing incentive structures more and more, trying to impose more and more so that they control everything with the idea that eventually we'll just get it perfect, right? In some ways, it's a very socialist way of thinking in that you have this ultimate faith that human rationality can overcome human frailty, mm. you know? And that's part of the PAP's DNA from when they were a socialist party in the 50s that they really believed that just enough brain power and planning and design can overcome people's inherent human frailty. And it doesn't actually work that way, Yeah. right? I think we've seen enough evidence that people are a mess of complicated emotions and everyone is very difficult, very different, distinct, mm. unique backgrounds, mm. lives. Uh, so they actually, the problem with the educational system is one that actually infects the entire PAP approach to decision making which is you know in order to solve a lot of problems you need to actually release control and give more uh, agency and authority to people on the ground who deal with the problem so in this case that's teachers mm. in other in mm. the healthcare system it's doctors and nurses right in all walks of life actually in all walks of, yeah. yes yes people who are actually dealing with the problem who have the experience the knowledge and let them uh, figure out the best way to do it and 
and you need to create a level and fair playing field, right? Um, instead of the current system where mm. privilege gives you so much advantage, you know. Mm. Here's another example, right? Chi Sun Juan, you've had him on this podcast mm. before at the last election. Talked about how all the good schools were basically in the Bukit Timah area, mm-hmm. and then of mm-hmm. course in Bishan, there's Raffles and Catholic High and a few others, and it's like all concentrated there. But another thing that we don't think about about the schools is that even though the MOE treats the schools the same, right? There's a lot of other ways schools can raise money to build infrastructure that then give certain schools massive advantages. And for example, that includes alumni donations. And they can't put these donations to uh, sort of uh, running, you know, recurring expenditures like teacher salaries and things like that. Mm. But they can put it into infrastructure. Mm. And that's why you see certain schools have massive campuses and the students have so many, you know, things to, to work with like laboratories or air conditioning mm. you know playing fields very right? good facilities facilities yeah. exactly that was who I was looking for so you know they have these things whereas neighborhood schools may be treated exactly the same by MOE but mm. they're going to have like broken down buildings mm. and they, they have Imbalanced. maybe one, one like playing field that every single ECA oh sorry CCA has to use you know yeah, yeah. so there are massive imbalances there right so if you're going to say like if you if the minister is going to say every school is a good school then I dare him make entry to schools completely random just completely random oh, that's interesting yeah. Yeah. very interesting that would be oh, yeah. chaotically yeah. interesting <laughs> interesting yeah, yeah but if every school is a good school then random selection shouldn't affect things right mm-hmm. apart from say distance which is another problem that all the schools all all the top schools are clustered in sort of two areas yeah. and that also tells you something. So, yeah, you know, it, if, if you're going to say something, every school is a good school, then you should have the courage to follow up that conviction mm. and just and just randomly assign students and then maybe make bus school buses free or something so that the tyranny of the distance, distance is not so bad. Yeah, yeah, that's, not, that's not going to happen. No, <laughs> it's not going to happen. Of course, <laughs> it's not going to happen. No. But it's an interesting it's a thought, interesting yeah. thought, yeah. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to the first part of a podcast with PJ Thumb. I hope you like what you heard, mainly because I think that it gave us a real unique look at who he really is. And that's something I think we don't get to see that often. You know? Tune in to part two in a few days. It's going to be great. It's pretty unique stuff and yeah, even more stuff that you've never heard from him, you know. And yeah, details will be in our episode post. Um, also, if you like what you hear... Just give us a, sh- a like, a follow, you know, share, Spotify, Facebook, Insta, all that stuff. And yeah, appreciate if you just share the show with someone that you feel might like it. Thank you. Oh.